The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good. Y'all, y'all awake? Yeah? Ready to kick off a new year? Things get back to normal. We haven't taken the trees down yet. They'll be gone next week, I promise. But that's just one last clinging on to Christmas. So as we look at today's passage, it's all about obedience, the joyful topic of obedience. But as we think about that, I want you to, I want you to just stop and think, what is the Lord leading you to do? What is the Lord prompting you to do? Uh, many times he prompts us to stop doing things, and sometimes he prompts us to start doing things. But what is the Lord prompting you to do? As you think about what he's prompting you not to do, many of us uh, struggle with things that we feel like it, it just seems impossible to stop. Maybe we struggle to stop overeating, or maybe we struggle to stop undereating. Maybe the Lord's prompting us to stop drinking too much. Maybe the Lord's calling us to stop lying, to stop cheating, to stop um, manipulating. Maybe the Lord's calling uh, some to stop uh, vaping, stop smoking, stop looking at porn, stop all sorts of behaviors. The list goes on and on. What is the Lord calling you to stop doing? Or perhaps on on the proactive side, what is the Lord calling you to start doing? A long list of possible things the Lord might be calling you to start. He might be calling you to start praying with your spouse. Many times for men, we we grow up and the women just progress sooner than us. And then we find out it's our role to to lead our wives to follow Jesus. And and we're intimidated by that. Maybe the Lord's telling you, I want you to start praying with your wife or praying with your spouse. I want you to start reading your word faithfully. I want you to start being generous with your money. I want you to start uh, memorizing scripture. I want you to start viewing your neighbors as people that God's called you to love well and, and represent Christ before them. Maybe God's calling you to start sharing your faith more, uh, more at your workplace. Uh, I'm in community group this year, or I was. We've just been called out to lead one of the new foundation groups, but with Caitlin Wilsey. And I, with permission, I asked her. She, she reluctantly gave me permission to share, but Caitlin and I were talking one, one evening after community group And she was just struggling. I could tell the Lord just gave her a desire that she wanted to share her faith more at work. And thankfully, she works for some godly doctors who are encouraging, uh, also in our church, encouraging their workplace to be a place that honors God. And I'm sure that was part of creating the uh, desire within her. And so she longed to do this. God clearly was saying, I want you to start doing this. But she was struggling with it because she, in her mind, the best I could tell, was viewing it as she had this incredible responsibility to get everything just right and and to say it just right and to make sure she got the full gospel presented each time that, that, how do you do that? And she was thinking through, how do I get to those kind of things in my work environment? And I didn't know anything great to say, but I just repeated what I think Kevin had been telling her for 20 years, but I get all the credit. So I said, hey, just just don't worry about trying to get through everything. Just say what you feel like you can say at that moment and let God do what God's going to do. 
And I think it just took the pressure off of her to realize I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect in saying what I want to say. I just need to let, I just need to simply obey the Lord when he prompts me to do something and let God do what he's going to do. And she began to do that. And now she is in a place where it just seems like that was years ago. And she just is naturally integrating faith into every time she's talking with her clients, I mean, her customer uh, patients, she's sharing with them and just integrating very naturally uh, the faith component. God can do that through you. God has some things he wants you to do. We call it obedience, but sometimes we think obedience is to this just strange commands, but obedience is played out in your everyday life in some very practical ways. What is God calling you to stop doing? What is God calling you to start doing? Obedience is important. In fact, when we think about obeying sometimes, it's laughable, isn't it? Sometimes you think about what God's calling you to do, and it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way that I am going to be able to pull that off. And that's what we see. I'm calling it laughable obedience. When God's called you to do something and you look around at your circumstances and it's like laughable. This is ridiculous. How could God do anything great through me? Why would he ask me to do that? That's what we see going on in our text. We see Abram and Sarah laughing. When God tells them, this is the situation, here's what I want you to do, and the, they both break out in laughter. We're going to see Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, and their son's going to be named laughter, Isaac. So this scene is full of laughable situation in which God has called them to remain faithful and to trust him through it all. Lord, I ask that you would help us this morning grow in our faith, grow in our obedience, that we may be a part of fulfilling your plans and your purposes on this earth. Lord, I pray that just taking the word of God and setting it before the people this morning, that your spirit will will produce within our hearts seeds of faith to just take simple steps of obedience and let you go to work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I pray, we're going to just look at this text and let the Lord give us faith to help us grow in our obedience. But to help you grow in your obedience, I think the first step is to consider the significance of obedience. The significance of obedience. We're coming off the heels of Genesis 15, and what's the famous verse in Genesis 15? Abraham believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And so if God credits to you, Jesus' righteousness based on Jesus' obedience and not your own, why in the world do you need to obey? Right? Isn't that the logical question? If you grasp the gospel, if you've never asked that question, then you may not have ever grasped the gospel. Because here's the gospel. God gives you credit for Jesus' obedience, not your own. That's the good news. If you trust in Jesus, he gives you credit for Jesus' obedience. And so you go, okay, so I'm forgiven, and it's not about my obedience. The next logical question when you get the gospel is, well, then why in the world do I need to obey? Why do I need to stop doing what God tells me to stop and start doing what God tells me to start? The question is the significance of obedience. Let's look at why your obedience is significant. Verse 1 of chapter 17, Genesis 17, 1 It says, when Abram was 99 years old, 
We've been tracking along. Abram's getting older and older. It's kind of like our kids. They just grow up without us realizing it. I'm not getting old, but Abram's getting old. He's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Now, that's an introduction, right? I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, i.e., obey me. He's talking to the man of faith, the man of the, the father of faith, the father of the gospel. Righteousness is by faith, not by your works. And then he comes to him. God says, I am God Almighty. You obey me. Walk before me. Be blameless. Now, why? Why is this important? Why is God coming to Abram and saying, obey me? Verse 2, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Be blameless. That I may fulfill or make my covenant between me and you. That I may accomplish my covenant that I've promised with you. That I may do all that I said I would do. Walk blamelessly before me. Obey me that I may do through you and in you what I've promised I'm going to do in and through you. That I may multiply you greatly. That's been the promise, right? In Genesis 12, God came to Abram and said, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you, multiply you. I'm going to give numerous children like the stars in the sky. And I'm going to make them into a nation of people who live in this land that you've been walking around on. And God says, now, I am God Almighty. Obey me so I can do all of that through you. Do you see the significance of of Abram's obedience. We are so passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ, rightly so, and we are so passionate about God is sovereign and able and powerful and omnipotent, meaning he has all power to do it. It's not about you, it's about God, but we must remember your obedience is crucial. My obedience is crucial that I may fulfill my plans and purposes through your obedience, God says. God says, you are saints. You are righteous. You are holy, set-apart people of mine. If you are in Christ, I credit you with my son's perfect righteousness. Now, go live like it. Go act like it. That's your identity. That's who you are, son. Now go live like my child should live. I am God Almighty. I've got great plans that I'm going to accomplish through you. Now go do what I tell you to do. That I may make my covenant. I may fulfill my plans through you. What are God's plans? We've seen through Genesis 1 forward. Paradise before the fall. God with his people, right? Perfect trusting obedience. God gets the glory. We're enjoying all his blessings. Fall happens. Sin, disobeying God, which was stop trusting, stop obeying. Everything starts to unravel. And God says, I am on a mission to redeem and restore my people and my planet. Through Abram's seed and his seeds. 
And now we see God saying, now, I'm going to do that, Abram, as you stumbled and bumbled through your obedience. As you stumble and bumble trying to learn how to trust and obey me, God says to Abram, I'm going to do all of this through your imperfect obedience. You see, it's not about, the Christian life is not about perfection, it's about direction. He's not saying, look, Abram, you are declared righteous. Now you have to be perfect for me to do what I want to do. No, he's saying, listen, I've given you credit for righteousness. Now you need to learn how to obey. You see, Abram is on this journey of learning obedience. It's called sanctification. And we see it in the Abrahamic narratives between Genesis 12 through Genesis 22. In the beginning, how did we see Abram and Sarah acting? There was some faith. They launched off into the promised land direction. That's awesome. But then the next thing we know, things get tough, and they're wandering into the Egypt. And they're lying, and they're scheming. Hey, that's not my wife. That's my sister, Pharaoh. Don't kill me. And God inflicts plagues on Pharaoh's house, and the truth is revealed, and God brings them back to repentance, brings them back to the place of of God's promised place of blessing. Time goes on, and they start struggling again. Sarah comes to Abram and says, listen, There's no way I'm having kids. I don't know how this is going to happen. You need to marry Hagar, and y'all need to have a child together. That must be what God's plan is. And so they're not trusting God. They make the tragic decision of getting married to a second wife while they're married, and it's not a good plan. And we see they are not perfect. God graciously comes and says, that's not my plan. Come back to the place of blessing, the place of obedience. Ultimately, though, Abram is on a journey of learning obedience. In this text, we're going to see it ends with Abram obeying a very difficult command. God has gotten Abram to a place of obedience. All the way so that you see him, the end of this journey is Genesis 22. The long-promised, the long-awaited son, Isaac, is born. And God, we find Abram climbing a mountain, putting that son on an altar because he says this is obedience to God. And God says, all right, stop. Now I know that you're ready. So Abram is learning obedience. On the heels of Genesis 15, we need to hear this, that being called a saint, a holy one by faith in Jesus Christ does not render your obedience insignificant. It is significant. It is very important. It is the way God is going to accomplish his plans and his purposes through your simple daily obedience. It's not these grand schemes that God's called me to do these great things. If he does, then certainly obey that. But most of the time, it's just boring, daily, seemingly meaningless obedience. What is God calling me to stop doing? What is God telling me to start doing? And God is saying to you, that's the big plan. That's how I'm accomplishing my huge plan of redemption and restoration. It's through your simple obedience. That's how I'm going to reach those people at your workplace, God says. That's how I'm going to redeem and restore those people in your neighborhood. That's how I'm going to redeem and restore the people in your nuclear family. 
In your immediate family, in your extended family. How? Through me doing something great? No, through your simple, boring obedience. Day in and day out. So your obedience is important because it is the means through which God is going to accomplish his great plans. In verse 3, it says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Listen to the plans that God has for Abram. That Abram is just like, are you kidding me? Father of nations, I'm not a father of a one. I have one kid, and it's illegitimate kid. No longer shall your name be called Abram. That's not who you are. You are Abraham, which means father of nations. I have declared you, Abram, father of nations. I have declared you, believer in Christ, saint. I have declared you holy. I have declared you righteous. I have changed your identity. You're not that sinner in bondage to that sin. You're not that fill in the blank with I-E-I-C at the end. You're not that person. You're not that disease. You're not that sin. You are a saint. And I am God Almighty. Now go do what I tell you to do, God says. So he says, I've changed your name. You are Abraham, father of nations. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you this land that you've been sojourning on, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. No, this is new. These are all promises that God has already made to him. The emphasis is here on obedience. Obey that I will do all of this through you. God's sovereign plan for your life does not mean you don't obey. It means you obey. Because that's how God's going to do it. It's through your obedience. The people of God are to be known as the obedient, i.e. holy, set-apart people of God. That's why I read Deuteronomy, the passage of Deuteronomy at the beginning of the service. The people of God will be looked upon by the nations and they will see them with their God so near, with their statutes given to them from God, that they have his understanding and his wisdom, which is ordering them as a people. And as they live out his wisdom, which is not like the wisdom of the world, as they live out his instructions, which will oftentimes make them weird compared to the world, 
as they do that, and as they call on a God who is so near to them, to hear them, and to speak to them, the nations will say, and what an amazing nation with such a God. That's God's plan. That's God's plan for the Norse Ferry community to see that you gathered here have a God so near to you that he changes your life and it's happening. I walk in the community and when someone hears, oh, hey, aren't you? Yeah, I'm the pastor at Norse Ferry. Is someone still going there? Yeah. Dude, what is going on with them? They are different. I'm like, isn't it awesome? That's what Jesus is doing. Simple Everyday, boring obedience is changing this community. And it will change this city. And it will change wherever God's people go. If they will just simple, boring, seemingly insignificant obedience. Your obedience is not insignificant. It's very important. God fulfills His universal Are you grasping this? His universal redemption and restoration of all things through Christ in you, your obedience. That's amazing. We continue to see the significance of obedience as we keep reading in verse 9. God said to Abram, as for you, here's what I want you to do. Here's what obedience looks like for you, Abram. You and your offspring after you, this is what you should be doing. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between you. Teach your children to obey. You obey it, and you pass it on to your kids. And then he gives them the covenant, the command of circumcision. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign. Key word. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then he teaches them every child on the eighth day should participate in this. This is God's way of setting these people, the people of faith, apart to say, when you keep my will, when you obey me, you're going to be different. And for Israel, they had circumcision, they had ceremonial laws, they had had dietary laws, and all of this obeying God's law, God's wisdom, God's mind, God's instructions, which was very different than the world's, it set them apart as a distinct people, separate. That's what holy means, to be separate from. When we take God's word as the people of Christ, knowing he is our righteousness, not our works, Now, I want to clarify something. I grew up mistakenly thinking that the Old Testament laws for Israel was the way they were made right with God. Wrong. That's never been the plan. God has always made you right with him through faith in the Messiah, either before or after the Messiah. So all this emphasis on obedience is not saying that's your basis for righteousness. Your basis for righteousness is Jesus' obedience, not your obedience. But when you participate in his righteousness by faith, he says, you're righteous. I fill you with my spirit. Now go live out who you are. Again, you won't be perfect, but it will be the sign of... Your obedience or your striving for obedience, your direction, not your perfection, but your direction 
toward obedience, your desire for obedience will be a sign that you are in the covenant people of God, that you are a member of the covenant of Christ, that your life plays out what God has declared about you. So your obedience is significant. If you look at your life and you're happy with sin, I'm forgiven, I'm good, then you better be afraid. Because that's not what the Spirit says about obedience. The Spirit of God sets you apart from that and says, no, you are holy. You are set apart. You are mine. You are in Christ You are unified with Christ by faith. You are united with Christ. And so what you do should be a picture of who Christ is. And Christ would never do that. So your obedience is significant. Don't ever say, I'm saved. I'm good. I don't really need to worry about how I live. Because that's not what the Spirit says. So God fulfills his plans through your obedience. It's massive significance to our obedience. And your obedience is a sign of your participation in Christ and the covenant community of God. He says, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. What is God calling you to stop doing? What is God calling you to start doing? Don't have to be grand. You don't have to be perfect. Maybe that's the biggest thing you get today is not about perfection. It's about direction. Take the step of obedience and let God do. You have no idea what God is up to. You have no... Abram couldn't grasp what crazy things God was going to do through he and Sarah. The significance of obedience. Now we see the struggle of obedience. It's not easy. It's a struggle, right? It's a struggle. Direction, not perfection. Chapter 17, verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, so we're seeing the struggle here. As for Sarai, your wife, don't call her Sarai anymore. Call her Sarah. Again, let me tell you what I've declared her to be, God says. Sarah. Princess. That's what Sarah means, princess. What comes from princesses? Kings. Don't think of yourself as barren. Don't think of her as sinner. Don't think, think of her as what I declare over her. Sarah. She is a princess. I will give you a son by her, verse 16 says. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face laughing. That's not what you expect. You expect him to say he fell on his face. Glory to God. No, he said, are you kidding me? Have you seen her? She's going to be 90 at her next birthday. She ain't having a baby. And you don't believe me? Well, look what he does next. He goes and he gets Ishmael and says, Hey, God, surely you're talking about him. This is funny, God. You're cracking me up. Seriously, what are you going to do with us? 
Verse 18, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, because I must be misunderstanding you. And then God said, No. I love the way this interaction goes, and the one with Sarah is even better. No, it's not what I said. Hello. But Sarah, your wife, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, because that means laughter. So keep laughing. Think about what your next kid's going to be named. I will establish my covenant with him. You see, God has a plan. God has a plan. And it's, it's not going to be the Messiah coming through Ishmael. That's not God's plan. God's sovereign. He has a plan. It's going to be through Isaac that the, that the Messiah comes. That, that the seed of the woman, 315, the seed of Abraham will come through Isaac, not Ishmael. But that's not, that's not what makes sense. That's not what, how God works. God has his plan. He's fulfilling his plan. You need to worry about one thing. Trust and obey. And God will take care of his plan. And he says, I'll establish my covenant with him, Isaac, not Ishmael, as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I'm going to bless him. I'm good. Even though you've been scheming and brought problems on yourself, I'm going to bless him. Verse 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Are you having this dialogue with God in your own life? God says, I want you to do something. You're like, you hadn't seen me. You don't, you, know, you don't understand what you're saying here. I can't do that. I hadn't, done, I hadn't been trained in that. I mean, look at me. I just, that's not me. That's not my personality. Set my wiring. I took a gift inventory one time. I didn't get that one. <laughs> God's like, oh, my bad. Must have grabbed the wrong file. And, and you, God says, I want you to do this. You're like, <laughs> laughter. Okay, sure. He says, I have a plan. I'm doing something. You don't need to figure it all out. You just need to trust me and what? Obey. There's no other way. Not only is Abram struggling, well, now we can call him Abraham. I finally got Abraham out of my language. Now I've got to put it back in. Abraham. Now, we see Sarah, Sarai, struggling. Her name is Sarai at this time. Look, fast forward in your text to Genesis 18, 9 through 15. Angels of the Lord come to Abraham and listen to this. This is just comical. I mean, this is all filled with laughter. Abram, the angel of the Lord says to Abraham, Hey, where's Sarah, your wife? Like, he doesn't know. Hey, where's Sarah? She's on the other side of the tent door listening with a cup going, hmm. And he said, uh, well, she's in the tent. And then the Lord said, well, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah's listening at the door, and she starts busting out in laughter. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. They were advanced in years. 
I love the way they phrase it. The way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. She's 90. That's the understatement of the year. The way of the woman has ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself. She's cracking up at the door going, who is he talking to? After I'm all worn out and my Lord is old, now I'm going to have a baby. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? She's like, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Underline, highlighter, bold, italics, circle, note, verse 14, key verse in the text. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Answer, no. At the appointed time, I will return to you, the Lord says, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. I am God Almighty. And then verse 15. Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. (laughs) She was afraid. She's like, I didn't laugh, God. I probably didn't laugh. He's like, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) She's like, okay, you're right. I laughed. I'm sorry. The question in verse 14 gets at the heart of the struggle of obedience. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And together they said, That was weak. Good job, Morris. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. What is the Lord calling you to do? It is God Almighty talking to you. I mean this as nice as I can say. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about simply trust and obey for there's no other way. God is going to accomplish his plans and his purposes through your simple, seemingly insignificant, daily, boring obedience. Stop doing this. Start doing that. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Caitlin. It wasn't about Caitlin. But Caitlin, once she got over the perfection and just started walking in that direction, one little obedient step at a time. Next thing I know, I see on Facebook a picture of Beth Moore in the conference room preaching to 50 people. That was Caitlin. She didn't set out to do something great. She's just trying to share her faith, just integrate faith. How do I just integrate faith? I don't want to just talk about medicine. I want to help them with their whole person. And what they really need is Jesus. Is that that what you're thinking in your life? How can I just take a small step of obedience? You have no idea what God's got in store for you. You have no clue what God's plans are. But it all starts with obeying. At the heart of the struggle is anything too hard for the Lord. Finally, we get to the solution of obedience. The the 
significance of obedience, the struggle of obedience, and finally the solution of obedience. We see this in verse 22, verse 17, back to chapter 17, verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham, and then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, and he circumcised them. He did all that God had told him to do. In those verses you see, he just did complete, unabashed obedience. And let me tell you something. This was not easy. If you understand what I'm saying. This was no little step of faith. God said, do it, and he did it. Now, how did he move from laughter to obedience? What was the solution to the struggle? It was faith in God Almighty. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing's too hard for the Lord. Therefore, I will do what the Lord says. Because in verse 1, he began this conversation with, I am God Almighty. Let's set this straight at the beginning of this conversation. Now, be blameless. Faith that God Almighty, El Shaddai, can do whatever he wants, however, whenever, whyever, and whatever ever you can think of. He's saying it's not about you. Just take the step of obedience. And then all throughout this passage, reread it again in verse 6. Look at who's the one acting. God says, you just do what I tell you to do. And God says, I will make you fruitful. I will make you into a nation. I will establish my covenant. I will give you offspring. I will make this an everlasting, this land an everlasting possession. I will be their God. I'm going to do all this. You simply, just simply trust me and obey me. Because I'm God Almighty. You're not. And through Abraham and Sarah came Isaac and Jacob and on and on and on to our Christmas message came Jesus. And in Jesus, we have our redemption and our restoration. And we begin our journey of learning to live out the righteousness that he's declared over us until he comes back. And he finishes it. And he redeems and restores his people and his planet. And guess who's going to be standing there with you? People who looked at you and said, there's something different. And you or someone else says, Jesus will redeem you and declare you righteous with God. What is God calling you to stop doing? And what is God calling you to start doing? Father God, I pray you'll make us a people of obedience. A people who bring glory to your name by our transformed lives. That your spirit who indwells us upon entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that your spirit will convict us of the significance of obedience, that will assure us that obedience is a sign of our salvation, that will give us faith in God Almighty that moves us beyond our struggles 
that is the solution for our obedience. Lord, bring glory to your name in Norris Ferry through us. Broken sinners, declared righteous, but being transformed as we seek to daily obey you. Make your name great, not ours. Make your fame itself famous in Shreveport, in Bossier, in New Orleans, South Sudan, Nairobi, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Panama, and wherever else you take us through one simple, boring step of obedience at a time. Make your name great. For it's your glory we exist. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.